Well, it's good to be with you here this morning and uh, continuing in our series, talking through the, uh, some different um, themes in the book of Proverbs. And again, this morning, diving into uh, the text. And I want to start by just acknowledging that sometimes following Jesus Christ is difficult. If you agree with that statement, I'd like you to say it to the person next to you. Sometimes following Jesus Christ is difficult. Amen. Amen. I get some amens there. We're, we're turning Pentecostal here. So here, with that as our basis, what I believe is one of the greatest challenges in our walk with Christ is his charge to us in John 17 to exist in this world, but not be of this world. Anybody else feel the weight of that tug of war, that tightrope walk, to, to exist, to exist in this environment with a culture that's primarily headed the opposite direction in so many different facets, but to exist in that, but to not be of it. I think it's especially amplified as it relates to resources and money, being in a culture and a country that's literally just obsessed with acquiring and building wealth. That's a, a huge piece in our culture to be around that, to be in the world, in that world, but not getting sucked into it. But just because it's prevalent doesn't mean it's wise. And in fact, as we've talked about, the most wise person to ever live, Solomon, says he has a lot to say about this topic. In fact, hundred. did you know this? 101 of the, the verses in the book of Proverbs are about money, dealing with that. And so all of these wise words or wise Proverbs, so many of them talking about that, I felt I couldn't do it justice without speaking about some of those. So we're going to camp out this morning in a message I've entitled The Endless Chase, camping out in a proverb Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, and that's going to be a springboard for some different Proverbs that we'll look at. But if you could start turning there now, that would be helpful. So we each have our eyes on the same uh, text. Verses 4 through 5, but before we do that, let me just pray for our time in the Word this morning. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this chance to be together and how refreshing it already has been this morning to, to celebrate you, to sing of your greatness, and now... Not just the singing of your greatness, we, we bend a knee to your word, to what you tell us is best, what you tell us is not good for us. We thank you that you haven't left us floundering, that you've given us direction in such practical ways. We ask that you'd speak to us here through this text this morning, that this wouldn't be a word for the person down the row from us, that you might even be speaking to us specifically. Pray that you'd soften our hearts, be present here now. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Looking at the, those couple verses, we'll start by uh, talking through it and then breaking it down as we go. The first uh, verse there says in verse 4 of chapter 23, it says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. What a great section. First part that I'd like to address has to do with those first couple words, and I've labeled that assess what you're chasing. It says, do not toil to acquire wealth. We've all seen a lot of technology changes with televisions and the different things that our resources, uh, our different things with our, our 
uh, tech stuff or TVs, one of the things that I really appreciate is the ability to pause, even pause live television. Now, I don't have cable, but even a pausing a movie or pausing whatever it is, Netflix, and having the ability to run, get a snack, go talk to somebody, come back, and it's left exactly where things were at. I appreciate that option. And here what I'd like to see us do this morning is for each one of us to hit a little mini pause in our own life and take occasion to assess what it is we're chasing after. What it is we're chasing after. Because the truth is, it tells a lot about where, where our heart is at, what we're chasing. Because we, we, we want to ask the question, what does my heart love? Like this principle, if you think about it, you will sacrifice great things for what your heart loves. So make sure what your heart loves is worth the sacrifice. Again, you'll sacrifice great things for what your heart loves, so make sure what your heart loves is worth the sacrifice. If you think about it, every single person is giving their life towards something. We have a a lot of options, a lot of choices, but everybody's selling out towards something. We have a tendency to celebrate people that we believe have made good choices as to what to sell out for, right? We hear the story of Mother Teresa and serving the poor in Calcutta. We're like, yes, that was a noble exercise, but no, I'm not interested. Or, or, or Jim Elliott, you're like, man, I, I celebrate the fact that he was willing to give his, his own life for the, the lost tribe in Ecuador, giving his life towards that. We celebrate people that have made wise choices so where is it for us? How, how, is it, how, how do we land on the, what it is we're chasing after? See, the danger of loving things with no value is that you put on the altar the things that have eternal value. That's what he's trying to push us towards, trying to think through the things that when you elevate other things, other things have to be pushed down. So he's cautioning us. What does he say? He says, do not toil. The word toil there means drudgery or slaving or unneeded exertion towards something. You think about how often that's necessary in the pursuit of wealth. Wealth here, by definition, is material prosperity. For most of us, this is something that comes with a great deal of toil. It's not something that typically comes easy. Although some people, they're just, it's interesting to run into every once in a while, you meet somebody and they're like, man, I don't know why, everything I touch, it just works out. I was talking to a businessman, he's like, yeah, even when I'm, I'm on vacation, my business grows. And like, I'm like, oh man, that's not a problem in my life. And, uh, but, but for some, it comes more natural, but others, it comes at the price of toil. And so what is the, the proverb pointing to? It's saying... In other words, it's unnecessary effort for unnecessary results. Unnecessary effort for unnecessary results. Saying, why are you giving the best of your day, the best of your life for something that's really unnecessary? It's not, it's not worth it, in other words. And this is coming from, obviously, somebody that would know. Uh, being so- Solomon has a, a pretty good pulse on that. And so when we think about this, when you hit the pause button, we ask the question to assess what are you chasing? Our knee-jerk reaction, if we're honest, we were like, I'm not chasing after wealth. That's not an issue for me. I know some people, it's a struggle. But our knee-jerk reaction to say, you know, that's not really me. But I'd propose this morning that there's some indicators in our life that tell us, wait a second, maybe it is. 
I'd propose that there's certain shortcuts that we can get sucked into that tell our tattletale to our heart and actually tell the truth about whether or not it's a pursuit. I want to just briefly touch on three of those shortcuts that we see pretty prevalent in our culture that are pointed to in Proverbs. The first one is this, is fast money, fast money. There are a lot of things fall under that category, and you think about the different things you've experienced even in your uh, time here on this planet, whether it's somebody sitting down with you and explaining the next best pyramid plan. Have you guys been a part of that? I remember sitting down with uh, my wife and I with someone that was explaining how I'm going to become the wealthiest man by selling knives. Like, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be it's going to be huge once I get my platform of people under, the, under me selling these knives. I was like convinced that's my direction that I'm going to take towards wealth. Pyramid scams. How about high-risk investments. What's, what's the famous last word for this stock or this, or this business opportunity? This is a sure thing. You know, when you hear those terms, it's time to run the other direction, right? The sure thing, because those can become shortcuts that we take in our pursuit of wealth. So pyramid scams, high-risk investments, gambling. You think about how often, how many paychecks are lost in the town of Las Vegas. That might not be an issue with you, but it is a huge deal in our world. When you start reading statistics and what a gra- grab that has on our culture, it's a large thing. Or another facet of that is the, the lottery. Reading this week how billions participate in the lottery. Crazy, with the hope of just maybe this is the one that's going to change everything. Pyramid scans, high-risk investments, gambling, lottery. How about cheating on taxes? I know we talk about that in church and ha, 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 cheating on taxes. But the truth is, there's a real tug in that. There's a real tug. There's a real draw to the, you know what? That, why do they deserve it? They're just going to misuse it anyway. How many have found yourself asking that question, right? Like uh, getting sucked into that, you know? Well, well if, I just, if I just present it from this perspective, it looks a little bit better on, on paper. It cuts a little corner here. It tells us it's a tattletale, if we're honest, to what's the pursuit of our heart. Another, another shortcut. Cheating on taxes, shady business practices. There's lots of corners that can be cut where we're taking advantage, we're cutting a corner, we're trying to find another way to increase the profit margin. I was reading about a, about a restaurant chain that started, a high-end restaurant chain that started adding a service charge onto the total bill as a 20%. And everybody just assumes that it's just, oh, that's this, the, to pay the server and everything. But nope, just going right back into the company, the server sees none, none of it. Just some of the little practices that we're surrounded with are tattletales on our heart. What does it say about this in Proverbs? Proverbs 1.19 says this, Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. Listen to these words. It takes away the life of its possessors takes away the life of its possessors. Powerful thing to assess whether or not this is a shortcut in our endless chase of wealth. Another shortcut I would propose and Proverbs points to is a sh- the shortcut of debt. And I know in church world, there, we've all heard messages and we've all heard cautions, but it still doesn't change that it's a reality. I could stand up here and share statistics about our country with the issue. I could share statistics about individual debt. I just want to point to one verse in Proverbs. 
The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave to the lender. We have such disdain, if we're honest, with the idea of slavery. Like we, we cringe at the idea of someone being actually enslaved to something. But here, in the proverb is pointing and saying, listen, when you're in debt, that's part of slavery to the person you're indebted to. So why do we do that? Why do we put ourselves in that situation? Let's get to the heart of that. Let's think about that for a second. The answer is, in our pursuit of wealth, we get tired of waiting. We get tired of waiting. We want it now. We want it now. That's really the root of debt is saying like, you know what, I'd rather, I'd rather just have it now. That'd just be a lot easier. I'm, I'm still working. I'm still pursuing this, but I'd rather have it now. Or even worse than that, many times, we'd rather look like we have it now. What do you've heard the expression, fake it till you make it, right? Like this idea of looking as if something that we've acquired or built up. Too many middle class incomes supporting upper class lifestyles. Too many middle class incomes supporting upper class lifestyles. And there's a danger in that. that when that grand lifestyle is funded and fueled by debt, you most likely are going to what? Miss the evidence of God's provision in your life. It's kind of like false provision, right? It's saying, you know what? I'm going to meet this need. I'm going to step in. And where does that leave God any room to act in our life? It's a false provision. It also can allow, if we're really going to talk about this, it can also can allow something to happen that he's saying no to, right? Something that he said, no, that's not good for you. That's, that's not good for you. Don't do it. Don't do it. No, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to, I'm going to just borrow. I'm just going to allow it to happen. So there's a lot of dangers one with the slavery piece, two with the not recognizing God's provision. Now, now, I'm not here, I'm not saying, I get it, like our culture, even Dave, good old Dave Ramsey says like, okay, you can borrow for appreciating assets, like we can talk about that, but you get the big idea, the picture here is that if we're not careful, it can become a shortcut in the pursuit of wealth and can be a tattletale on our heart and where it's at with money. So fast money, debt, another shortcut I'd point to, he just wrote the words, give less. Basically, the idea of thinking, if I give less, I get to keep more for me. If I give less, then I get to, I, I, I get to uh, have more for my growth. My, my portfolio expands the less I actually give away. I was talking to a financial advisor this last week, uh, just having, having lunch and just chatting. He was explaining in his, in his business, he's like, man, it's really interesting how few people give away anything? How many people have acquired just wealth and all of this and that's just not even on their radar? To some degree, that can make sense if you don't have Jesus Christ guiding you and nudging you and prompting you. That's, that, that makes sense. But the scary part is, is that reality also sneaks in to the body of Christ. It's prevalent with us as well. Malachi 3.7, many of us have heard this, is one that's a sobering reminder for us. It's an interaction between God and his people. Let's take a look at it there on the screen where God is directing them. He's saying, listen, return to me. It's an invitation. He says, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Here's God's response. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? His response. In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed 
with a curse for robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put my, me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. It's a pretty powerful interaction there. The, the accusation that he's making is really still relevant for the church today, hundreds of years later, still an accusation for us if you start looking statistics within the body of Christ, unfortunately. I was reading this week just a few stats with church and giving, and this is, this is I'm just sharing the truth from God's word here. It says, the average, the average attender in a Protestant church, that would be us, Though that would be somebody that attends at least more than once a month. The average, the average uh, in, a, in a Protestant church, 37% of the people that attend regularly give nothing, which is interesting to me, 37%. The average donation for those that do give is $10 per week for adults. And only 3% of people that attend church regularly actually tithe their income. That's crazy to think. Really convicting thoughts there. According to Malachi, what does he say? He says, you're, you're actually robbing from me. That's a, that's a convicting thought. This is something that my wife and I take very serious. I'm not just up here speaking about it. It's something we take serious and give. We, we give above and beyond the tithe, which by definition, the word tithe means 10%. And so here, a convicting thing where we can assess whether or not that's a sign of, wait a second, Where's my heart with this? Is this a shortcut I'm trying to take in my own life? It's fun every week getting the opportunity where different people shoot me emails or feedback on sermons or uh, sometimes positive, sometimes not. That's okay. Get, get a mixed bag there. But uh, I had an email this, this last week from the Rolls, and they, sh- they shared uh, that it would be open for me sharing with this. I'll read it to you as it relates to this. She said, I want to share a recent testimony based on exactly what you spoke about last week when I was talking about the path principle, this idea that direction, not intention, determines destination. Do you remember that? The idea that direction, the way that we're pointing, determines where we're going to end, not just best intentions. So we can have the best intentions, but if your path isn't pointed that way, you're not going to end up there. She says, this truth is so important for us, and I hope our church family grabbed hold of it. On January 11th this year, God spoke to us about our finances. Without realizing it, our spending habits put us on a path that was destroying our best intentions. Of completing our financial goals regarding giving and getting out of debt, God said very clearly, if you continue this direction a year from now, you will be in the same place facing the same challenges. I have so much I want to give you financially, but I can't trust you with it until you change how you are stewarding your money. Yikes, that was a tough to hear, but it was the truth. He didn't command us because the choice was still ours. Like you mentioned, he simply laid out the consequences of our choices. We want to please him in everything, so we immediately change our direction to his direction, and God has already blessed it. We are seeing fruit we haven't seen in a long time because God's word is true. Our poor spending habits have stopped. We have money in the bank and we haven't had before. We've set a new plan for our giving. And with God's leading, we will give more than we ever have and be debt-free by the end of this year. Thank you for your obedience to teach this. It was God confirming what he had spoken to us. We are back on 
the right path. I love that. I love people actually taking, not just being hearers of the word, but actually applying it to their life. There needs to be a pause. What does the verse say? The next part says, be discerning enough to desist. Be discerning enough. In other words, stop the chase. Be discerning enough to desist, to stop. There needs to be that aha moment that says, wait a second, where, where have I, how have I gotten here? Why have I become this person? Why have I become this person chasing this? I need to stop. I'm in a, a, a group, of, a Bible study that we're in, and uh, just yesterday we're talking about the prodigal son, and we're talking about that moment when he's in the, the pigsty, when he's there serving, he's taking his, his, his inheritance, he's going off to live on his own, he's squandered the money, he's left there, with a, just found himself as a Jewish boy feeding pigs, bad place to be, and it says an interesting thing in, in the text there, it says that he came to his senses, came to his senses. There was a, a turning point. There was a conclusion that said, wait a second, I need to be smart enough to piece this together that this isn't where I'm supposed to be. This isn't what's best for me. There needs to be that same conclusion as it relates to finances and the pursuit of them in our own minds. Forgive me if you've heard this story. This is one that's stuck in my mind, but I was talking last service, and they're like, I hadn't heard of that. Listen to this, uh, this account. It says, an American investment banker was at the pier of a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several large yellowfin tuna. The American complimented the Mexican uh, fisherman on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took to catch them. The Mexican man replied, only a little while. The American then asked, why didn't he stay out longer and catch more fish? Mexican man said he had enough to support his family and immediate needs. The American then asked, but what do you do with the rest of your time? The Mexican fisherman said, I sleep late, I fish a little, I play with my children, take siestas with my wife Maria, stroll into the village each evening where I sip wine and play guitars with, guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy life. The American scoffed. Well, I'm a Harvard MBA and could help you. You should spend more time fishing with the proceeds by a bigger boat. With the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats. Eventually, you could have your own fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to the middleman, you would sell directly to the processor, eventually opening your own cannery. You would control the products, processing, and distribution you would need to leave this small coastal fishing village and move to Mexico City, then L.A., eventually New York, where you'll run your own expanding enterprise. This sounded great. Mexican uh, fishermen asked, but how long will this all take? To what the American replied, ah, 15, 20 years. But what then, asked the Mexican fisherman. The American laughed and said, that's the best part. When the time is right, you would announce an IPO and sell your company's stock to the public and become very, very rich. You would make millions. Millions, says the Mexican fisherman. Then what? The American said, then you would retire, move to a small coastal fishing village where you would sleep late, fish a little, play with your grandkids, take siestas with your wife, and stroll in the village in the evenings where you could sip wine and play guitar with your amigos. <laughs> Thinking about that. Isn't that the chase that we get sucked into? If we're not careful, we're like, wait a second. How did I get on this treadmill? Why am I chasing after this? Why, why am I pursuing that end result? It makes no sense. 
there needs to be an aha moment that says that it's not even just missing opportunity. It's also a lot of things come as a sacrifice in that pursuit, right? Think about how many people sacrifice different things. Sacrifice, how about this one, your health. How often do you hear the statement talking about somebody, man, you're going to work yourself to death, right? A lot of times it's not just an expression. Literally, you can see people's health fail because of their pursuit of the almighty dollar. What else comes at a sacrifice? How often do families get the leftovers because of this pursuit? How about spiritual life? What did Jesus caution us to? Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. He said, listen, it just doesn't work. Something has to give. Your relationships, people become a means to an end. Your time, it's gone. All of these things are sacrifices for this pursuit. There needs to be an aha moment that says, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? The aha moment might be in this last section of that verse where we see that wealth is a tease. Look what it says. It says, when your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts out wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Interesting choice of words there, isn't it? Warning against the pursuit of wealth since it flies like an eagle. I've talked about our little uh, dog before named Bailey. We have a little white fluff dog. It's a cockapoo, and, uh, which is kind of a funny word just in my mind. You have to be pretty secure in uh, your masculinity to own one. But we are, and our, I am. And uh, we, we love taking one of Bailey's favorite things to do. We find a couple different beaches that have like the, the free let the dogs run kind of setup. We cheat sometimes on other beaches. But this one we go to in Ventura uh, we let Bailey run, and just she just takes off sprinting across the beach. I don't know if you guys have a dog like that. You can literally like see a smile on her face, I'm convinced. And she's sprinting across, and one of her favorite things to do on these runs is there's usually like a little set flock of uh, seagulls kind of hanging out there, and she's sprinting. This time is the time she's going to catch them. Like every single time, it's a fresh new chase. She's running after these things, to like slobber flying out, wind blowing in her hair, wet feet. Like she's chasing after that thing. She's like, this time, this is the one I'm going to get. Well, the seagulls are see her half a mile away, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get away. Like it's, it's zero effort for them to escape and just head back to the sky. It's not going to happen. I was thinking about that as it relates to us with this, this verse there. Maybe God, all, and, and Adrian and I, here's another piece to it. Adrian and I love, this is maybe uh, a weird part of it. Adrian and I love sitting in the beach chairs and kind of watching and just being like, there she goes again. Not going to happen. Kind of almost mocking her. And I just wonder as it relates to this, this verse to some degree, if God in heaven, maybe hanging out talking to Jesus Christ at his right hand, is, is, is saying like, look, there goes Billy again, chasing that almighty dollar. He's not going to catch it, but doesn't he look funny in the run? Like, doesn't he look funny as he's chasing it? Like, oh, there he goes again. There goes Maria. There's, there, there goes Michelle. There goes Anne. There go, like, what, what, if he, what if he's there watching and saying, what are you doing? Why do you keep chasing something that you'll never, ever catch? What did, the pro, what, what did Solomon say? He said, it's like chasing after the wind. It's, a, it's an endless pursuit. It's never going to work. There needs to be that aha moment, the realization that comes, you're never going to have enough. 
It's never going to satisfy, and it's just a toil. It's a pointless toil in our life. I love one of the Proverbs. It's actually not Solomon, but another one. In Proverbs 30, this is the conclusion, verse 7 through 9. This is the conclusion of what the preference would be rather than having it all. It says in this, this plea to God, it says, Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Listen to this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God, of my God. The point here in the, the, that proverb is saying, Listen, what, what if the better way is putting ourselves in a position where I've got, got enough to, to make ends meet, but not enough that I'm not, I'm not self-reliant and independent of God. That don't, don't give me too much. Don't give me too little. Help me figure that out in my life. That's what it is that it points to in the Proverbs. So the hope is that this topic isn't a guilt trip topic, but it does cause us to hit the pause button to ask some internal questions, asking ourselves a few things. Am I in a place where I have to trust God for his provision? Or have I become too self-reliant? Asking yourself questions, do I need to make some lifestyle adjustments? Are there some shortcuts that I'm guilty of in my pursuit of wealth? Do I need to desist on the chase? I need to take the running shoes off and just be like, okay, I'm done with that. It's silly. It's never going to end anywhere that I want anyway. Do I need to stop the chase? But what's the alternative? What's the alternative? I'm glad you asked. Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Okay, so how do we do that? We want to look at one last passage just as we wrap up. 1 Timothy 6.17-19, through 19, I think, paints a beautiful picture of an appropriate approach to this says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on their uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What a great passage, isn't it? It's a great summary. Think about what's, let's, let's break that down just briefly. The don'ts that it mentions in the text there. It says don't, just a few. Says, when you have your wealth, don't be haughty about it, allowing that to define you as like that's something that you're like, oh yeah, that's, I, I'm superior because of it. It says, don't set your hope in riches as if that's going to satisfy, as if that's going to meet the longings of your heart. So those are a few of the don'ts. The do's, do set your hope in God. Saying, hey, hey don't, don't get off track. Allow him to still be the source of our hope. Do enjoy the things that he provides. A lot of times we feel guilty about that piece even. What does it say, though? It says, it says, uh, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So this isn't a killjoy message. It's okay to enjoy the things that he provides. 
So enjoy the things he invites. Do good. Do be good. This is, a, I think I messed that up. Do be. Uh, do be good in rich works. Do be generous. Do be ready to share. You think about all the do's in this passage. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of what the life that we're invited to. And look at the outcome. What does it say happens in the outcome? It says, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So the outcome, treasures in heaven. And then I love that last section, that they may take hold of that which is truly living. Isn't that what our desire is? Isn't that our heart? Getting back to saying, like, I, I want to really experience life to, to its fullest. I want to know what's truly living. It's pretty simple. He's not making this real complicated. He's not saying sell every single thing, although he may call you to that. He's not saying that. He's saying, listen, be ready to share. Be good to people. Don't, don't elevate it in an appropriate thing. Don't toil after it or chase after it. He's saying, open, hold things with an open hand, not a closed fist. Lots of practical things for how we deal with wealth. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this pause this morning just to wrestle through this. And I know it's a, a, a tough topic sometimes and can come across as something that's uh, maybe beat down on somebody. But I pray that that hasn't been the case this morning. That it's just been a refreshing look at what your best plan is for us. Not to labor chasing something, chasing the wind like a, a, a silly dog chasing a seagull. God, but allowing ourselves to lay a, a firm foundation for the future, a foundation of generosity, a foundation of good works, of kindness, not clinging on to stuff, but holding things with an open hand, not a closed fist. God, help us in this. It's so hard, as we acknowledged out of the gates, it's so hard to go the opposite direction of the tide. Grow us, stretch us, forgive us for the shortcuts we've taken. Help us to desist, to stop it. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.